coming up next in The Ziggler Show. Have you ever fully considered exactly why you work at the job you have now? Or why you chose the career you're in? Or even why you have the current business you own? Well, I asked this question to Ziggler listeners, which, by the way, I invite you to give your feedback to us so we can cite you and get your counsel. Uh, Just friend me on Facebook at Agent K Miller. But the responses to this question about how'd you end up doing what you're doing range from the valiant and purposeful intent to save the world to the admission it was just a direction they were pushed into or kind of fell into. And, and the latter doesn't mean that they ended up in a bad place, but the exercise itself caused a lot of pondering. It may cause you to feel confirmed or uncover that it's time to think about why you're doing what you are and consider if this is where you want to be and remain. So if you'll join Tom Ziegler and I next year, we're going to talk through some of the comments and the realities of why we all end up doing the work we do and how to pursue the work that we might actually want to do. Welcome to the Ziegler show. I'm your host, Kevin Miller. This podcast has a simple premise. It's to take the age old wisdom of self-help and personal development and break it down as to how it relates to our world today. And most importantly, your world today. You can dig in more with each episode at kevinmiller.co. And if you're new to Ziegler and are a coach or want to become one, let the Ziegler family empower you. Check it out at ziegler.com slash coach leadership program. And now Tom Ziegler and I are going to discuss this question of why we work at what we do and what we want to work at. I'm a foodie and I enjoy learning about the process that brings great foods and beverages from idea to the table. And then I like tasting them and learning the nuances of what creates the most significant tastes from coffee to cheese to distilled beverages. I did a tequila tasting in Mexico and recently bourbon. Heaven Hill bottled in bond bourbon really impressed me from the story to the taste. I grew up in Kentucky where horse racing and bourbon are famous. And I got introduced to Heaven Hill bottled in bond bourbon. It's produced by Heaven Hill distillery, which has been and still remains family owned since 1935. And I'm impressed with the bourbon's ultra rich, smooth taste. And right on the bottle, it states that this bourbon is seven years old, which is actually three times longer than what's required to be certified as bottled in bond. I feel with beverages, the longer the prep, the better the taste. Being a bottled-in bond product means it must pass a list of seven requirements that set the standard for this quality bourbon. So look for it at your local store. Heaven Hill reminds you to think wisely and drink wisely. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. So Tom, in my book, I am writing about, you know, what drives us vocationally, in our career, in our work. And I start, as I do with in every primary area of life, start back with the literal genetics that are ingrained in our DNA that have, you know, to some degree, an impact on our entire life. And then, of course, our upbringing and 
our parents or whoever raised us. And what we saw is obviously very instrumental. The thing that stood out to me as I'm thinking on it, researching, writing it though, is how narrow our scope of vocational interest can be because of our limited exposure for most people. I mean, I'm sure there's somebody out there who says, no man, as a kid, because of some circumstance that they were in, they got to witness so many different people in different vocational roles from, you know, from uh, a janitor to an astronaut, to a doctor, to an accountant, to a whatever. And they got to really see those, but most of us didn't. And I, you know, I even looked at my own life and I, do you tell me about your, your own exposure and I want to say it was pretty varied, but really not. My dad was an entrepreneur, always worked for himself. I never knew him to work for someone else. He did have different arenas. When I was a kid, he was working in the car industry. We'd go onto car lots and he would put pinstripes and uh, sunroofs and radios and moldings and all kinds of stuff. He'd do that on cars. So I did get to see the automotive industry. I got to see the mechanics back, back in the bay. I got to see the floor, the salespeople. Um, I got to see that. But primarily, I just got to see my dad pursuing personal development and being self-employed. What am I today? Uh, pretty much enmeshed in personal development. I'm self-employed. I've never done anything different. Now, I did fit me pretty well, but I wasn't exposed to the lifestyle of a doctor. What would that have done? Uh, so there, I'll throw that at you to begin with because your exposure, I'm guessing, is pretty similar to mine. But tell me. Well, I think kids want to grow up and be like their parents. Yeah. And it's just natural. And that's what we're exposed to. That's what we see. That's what we have on a daily basis. Uh, for me, gosh, I was in college and you know, the story, I wanted to be a golfer and I played golf in college and, and I got better. I never got to the level I wanted to lack of skill, starting late injuries, whatever you want to call it. Uh, and I actually started work at our company to support my golf habit. So now the golfy did come from influence. That, that was your dad's. Oh yeah. That was his recreation. Yeah, totally. I mean, I, so he, yeah, I've heard stories of him getting you to go out and, you know, play or, or drive some balls with him and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So even that, even though it's totally different, um, than, than what he was doing, he was the influence for me to go and do golf. I fell in love with golf because of him. Yeah. Um, and then I joined the company to support my golf habit, working in the warehouse, right? Because I had flexible schedule. And then I, found, I finally moved over to sales and fell in love with sales. And so, and then it was selling what he'd been teaching me my whole life, which is, you know, so, so and, and, and I've always, I've, I feel like I've had such a unique advantage for what, what I get to do because, you know, some people, their work is their work and their ministry is their ministry, mm -hmm. right? So they do the work, whatever it is, and then they find a church or a synagogue or a community or a service group, and then that's their ministry. And our work is our ministry, you know, because we are in the life-changing business. And, yeah. and I've just got that unique um, perspective and advantage that it's the same thing. And part of what we do is help other people figure out what it is that they want to do. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, well, and, and that was that's the premise that brought me to this 
right here now. And, you know, as you're talking about, I mean, you are in the role of you're an influencer. I mean, that is primarily your job. Ultimately, that's mine as well. I get paid by the people that uh, give me permission to talk to them, to share with them, at least maybe I'm an influencer, a messenger, whatever you want to call that. But that's a specific, that's a specific role. And it's interesting. Would you have chosen that if you had grown up uh, with parents who were accountants or, or managers in a corporate, you know, atmosphere? And you mentioned golf and I forgot, gosh, I spent, you know, 15 years of my life as a cyclist. So on the, on the roads, uh, tour de France type, type stuff, didn't make it to the tour de France, but I did that. And that was the literally just the influence of, gosh, I, I rode bike around. That's how you got to your friend's house and they built a BMX track in my town. And that was the rage. And that opened that door up for me. Now I think it was very fitting. And even that talking about, you know, self-employment, I'm not really good at, um, I'm not the best team player. I'm not really great at following directives. I like to do my own thing. So that fit me. And even the aspect of influencing, that is what I gravitate towards. But again, it just got me to thinking, if we all think about what are we doing today, especially those who have been in the workforce for a while and what got you started? Because so often it was something pretty isolated and you can find yourself wondering, my gosh, yeah, why am I doing this? That was you know, just an instance. We also saw, Tom, you seen the movie Hacksaw Ridge? I, I believe so. Yes. Yeah. Hacksaw Ridge. So the guy in there and he ends up at a hot, going to a hospital. He's a kid going to a hospital and he looks around now, granted, he's enamored with this really pretty girl, uh, nurse too. That was part of the deal, but he went from that and his family and his culture were all going to war. So that influenced him to join the military and he wanted to be a medic. He looked around and saw what was happening in the hospital and wanted to do that. Now he also, in that, in the movie context, he didn't want to carry a gun because he had the influence of a, a bad circumstance and decided he never wanted to do anything to harm people. He wanted to help them either way. It's these influences. And we look at that and go, man, our, our influencers were really, it's interesting for me to think, what if I had like you grown up and my dad was a, well, he was going to be a psychologist and he had normal hours, regular income, uh, you know, certain vacation for uh, time for the year. And I knew nothing of that. Just like you, it was, it was very, very different. And that's what our influence was. So that's the question, Tom, I posted on Facebook was to ask people, what was that influence really for the sake of helping us consider, yeah, why am I doing this? And it may be a great thing. I'm doing this because my dad influenced me or my mom influenced me and I got open to this and I love it and I'm so grateful and that's a great story. Or to say, gosh, I don't know. I, and I, and I think about talking about Hacksaw Ridge and he saw the pretty nurse, you know, that was the joke when I was a kid. Why'd you pick that degree? Why'd you pick that degree in college? Man, because there was a really attractive co-ed, you know, in line there and I just hopped over there. Not, it's, you know, not the best way to pick your life's vocation. Um, so I, I asked folks, I'll, I'll read a couple. Brian Lynchard, he says, uh, what, what got him the direction? A salesperson that used to call on me and a life business coaching program. Well, gosh, there, Tom, I mean, how many people have you seen? I was going to say change direction as they've come to Ziegler and come to you, though maybe that's a that's not a fair question because generally they're coming to you because of their desire to change a direction. Is that true? Yes. They're either coming because they want to be 
more effective and have more fulfillment in what they are doing or, and it's an and, or maybe that uh, it's not the right thing they're doing. Right. And of course, millions of people over the last two years, that's the question they've been asking. Yeah. Hey, I want my life to matter. Uh, I spoke for a company yesterday, uh, buddies, fantastic group of people. The president was there and his whole speech was about the dash. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. And he said, we got to make this matter. We got to make it matter in how we live our life and how we treat our family and how we work with our community and what we do with our customers. We got to, you know, it's got to matter. And it was, you know, very, it's a, that the dash is, was good when it came out, but it's even been, to me, more powerful in the last two years where millions of people are like, wait a second, not only is life uncertain, but is what I'm doing, is it mattering? And let me clarify that so people don't think you're talking about a running race. If you're not familiar with the dash, it, it's the, uh, there's the dash between the date of your birth and the date of your death. And did somebody do a, a specific book? I'm, yeah, there's a, there's a, uh, I think there's a famous short video on it. And, yeah. Um, maybe a poem and a book and, you know, it's just that concept that on your tombstone, there's the, there's the day you're born and the day you die. And yeah. what separates the two is the dash. Yeah. And what matters is the dash. What do we do with that time we have in the middle? And we help a lot of people with getting clarity on what it is that they want to invest in their life. Yeah. What's the dash going to look like? And, you know, there's a simple thing that we do in our choose to win process where we say, you know, there's three circles and the top circle is what makes your heart sing when you're doing something and you think it's been uh, five minutes and it's been two hours. What is that? You know, what is it that just you get in the flow and you get joy and satisfaction and you feel meaning and fulfillment from doing it? And then the second circle is what problems do you solve? And so the way you find that out is what problems do people bring you? Like if you're just minding your own business and somebody who knows you calls you up and says, Hey, Kevin, I I need some help. Can you help me? What are they, what help are they asking for? That's usually a gift or a talent that you have and you may not recognize it, or it could be a skill set that, that you're just respected for and they want that. And then the third circle is, what's the biggest challenge you've overcome? What's the biggest obstacle in your life that, you know, knocked you down and you had to get through it and, and understand that those challenges can be either uh, arbitrary, not your fault. You know, maybe you were born into a family that had a lot of issues, broken home. Maybe you had an illness or got in an accident. You know, those are all things that happen to you. And there's other kind of challenges too. And those are the ones you create for yourself. You make a bad choice (laughs) and, and that choice uh, creates consequences. And then you have to navigate the consequences and figure out how to overcome it. And so where those three things intersect, where what you love to do and what you're good at and the biggest problem that you've had to overcome where those three things intersect, that's a great place to look because you've got, um, you've got passion there, you've got gifts and talents there and you've got scars. And 
those three things together really uh, can give you insight. Um, the, the, um, yeah, you, you make me come back to, we were actually talking on another tangent yesterday with my, my driven to live community, uh, Frederick Beekner's line, the place God calls you to is the place where your deep gladness and the world's world's deep hunger meet that intersection. And it made me think about that with your description right there of the circles. And, you know, it's interesting, uh, Tom, you brought something here. Actually here, I'm going to give people just a, a side note here because you mentioned something about the trials, the struggles that we've come through and looking at that. My wife, this is for all you parents out there, actually any social group, you could do this, but uh, you know, we, we often come to the table and want to have something meaningful for our family. And a common one is talking about the highs and lows of the days, right? Uh, what's the, there's different ways of saying it, the roses and the thorns that I've heard it said, said so many different ways, really neat concept. I, I like that one. Another one that she brought forth and she's in cognitive training and the idea of getting more comfortable with mistakes and having grace for yourself. And so she started doing this at the family table, asking everybody to go around and name a mistake they made today. What's a mistake you made today? And then Ooh. second one was, what did you work hard at? You don't cite the achievement to say, I did this and I achieved it. No, no, no. We don't have to even know the achievement. What did you just work hard at? It's really interesting hearing the kids do that. And if you think about the flavor of that, that you get comfortable with saying, yeah, it's a mistake that I made, uh, the, you know, day one, day two, day three, week four. And it's something I worked hard at really brings to light the effort that you're making, not just a results oriented thing, uh, which, you know, we've as a culture are so results oriented. And I think people struggle obviously with fear and failure and whatnot. So I wanted to give that because it's just, it's been so neat to see that happening. I was talking about that in our family and you made me think about that with talking about trials that we overcome. Um, Jeff Bayless here, he said military service transferred into my resume, which basically pushed me into project management. Okay. I know Jeff, he has an online, if you're on Facebook, you can go to Jeff Bayless, B-A-Y-L-E-S-S. -S, and he runs a Facebook group. I think it's just a free group. I'm in there and it's something about wellness. I can't, and I'm, and I'm just thinking about it right now. He's got a thousand plus people in there talking about wellness. So he's becoming an influencer or has become an influencer in that, but interesting. So he went into the military. I don't know why. Let's say that his father was in the military or mother at this point. I grew up, uh, my best friend in high school, his dad was in the military, had been to war. And so my buddy, Joe, he went to the military. His brother went to the military, his brother, his next brother went to the military and his dad gave me a lot of crap about, I should go serve my country as well. That was their economy. Uh, and, and nothing against or, or the military, but just the power of that influence. So I don't know, maybe that's Jeff. So let's say he got into the military and I'm making a story for a point because I didn't ask Jeff the details on that, but it's interesting because he said it pushed him into project management. Let's say he went into the military. I know when you do go into the military, you do take some aptitude tests. Let's see where you are strong, where you are weak, and they're looking to place you in your area of strength. Let's say that's what happened with Jeff. He worked in the project management area in military. He comes out. That's what his resume supports. So his best opportunity out here in the work field, non-military civilian life is in project management. Makes sense. What if... Jeff was really good at project management. He had a knack for it. I do not. He had a knack for it. However, did he enjoy it? Was it fulfilling to him? 
It's another question. And it's one that I talk about in my book and I've been talking about with other people and talk about with my kids and the propensity that we have in education, even as parents with kids to look at what they are good at and to go, holy smokes, man, you are just a natural at math. You need to go pursue X, Y, Z. And I had that happen to me. Thank goodness I had parents who were very open to the way I was bent overall. And they knew me and realized that some of the things I was good at, I didn't enjoy. And to take it out of the vocational, like sports, we're talking about now, obviously I liked athletics, but I started off in ball sports, uh, football and baseball specifically. I excelled really, really well and was uh, tipped or, or, you know, really being shepherded into high school football to really pursue that. Ultimately I quit because I didn't enjoy it. Not enough. And I finally found cycling and in more individual sport. And that's what fit me I had endurance sport. I like that. Um, and I just didn't do that. So again, looking at Jeff's a great testimony for that, the propensity, Tom, that we have to look at what we are good at, what somebody else is good at, say, gosh, you should pursue that. And there are things that we can be really good at that we don't want to pursue vocationally. We don't want to do that day in and day out. I'm really good with some, uh, taking just natural wood, rustic wood and making some things out of that. I've made big tables and made beds and invariably somebody will come over and go, holy smokes, you could sell that table for thousands of dollars. You should do that. I had somebody try to get me to, they actually gave me a deposit to do it. And I just couldn't get my, I just didn't care. I just didn't want to. So I'm good at that. I don't want to do that vocationally. That's a fun thing. It's a hobby. And that I feel like we still see a propensity for Tom. We have a lot of people, a lot of us who are working at something we may be good at, but it's not fulfilling. And that's, that's hard to grapple with. You are listening to The Ziggler Show and this discussion with Tom Ziggler on how we all ended up in the work we're in. We'll be right back. Thankfully, the days of building a business website, then having this massive endeavor to integrate an online store are gone. Today, Shopify has fixed all that. I had one business where we actually built the entire website on Shopify's platform. So whether you're just starting out or you're selling a million bucks of product already, Shopify is just the industry leader. It works the same for physical products or online and digital, and Shopify is just hands down the best out there. Most importantly, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. It's 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Getting people to buy is not that hard, at least to the buying point, but getting them to actually give their payment info is, and Shopify is king in that department. They also have top-tier customer service, which I think is critical. You can sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash Kevin. That's all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash Kevin to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash Kevin. Most of today, you will be indoors, likely your home or your office. I am as well. Even with my treks out into the woods, I spend a lot of time inside. And we're going to take about 20,000 breaths. According to the EPA, the indoor air is two to five times more polluted than the outdoor air, sometimes up to 100 times more polluted. At my studio, we have heat being forced through old ducts. I walk on carpet full of years of junk. No idea what's floating in the air that I'm taking constant gulps of. The solution is an air purifier and Air Doctor is just the best. Air Doctor filters out 99.99% of dangerous contaminants and allergens such as pollen, pet dander, dust mites, mold, bacteria, viruses. They do it so your lungs don't have to. 
Air Doctor comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee. So if you don't love it, just send it back for a refund minus shipping. Go to airdoctorpro.com and use promo code Kevin. And depending on the model, you'll receive up to 39% off or up to 300 bucks off. Exclusive to podcast customers, you will also receive a free three-year warranty on any unit, which is an additional $84 value. So to get this special offer, go to A-I-R-D-O-C-T-O-R-P-R-O.com use promo code Kevin, airdoctorpro.com, promo code Kevin. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What, we see that a lot, um, and and you know, and and who's the guy, the uh, the famous guy who talks about blue collar jobs all the time? Um, Rowe. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that guy, Mike. Mike Rowe. Yeah. And then uh, Rabbi La- Daniel Lappin talks about it too, and that is this this idea that you know the only thing we should do in life is pursue what we're passionate about. Well. You know, you might be passionate about something that's impossible to create an income for you. True. Right. Let's just say you're passionate, passionate about singing. But unfortunately, your voice, no matter what you do, how much you practice, how many lessons you get, you know, how much time you work on exercises, it's never going to rise up. I think I heard this from John Maxwell Um And he was referring to a study, which I don't have, but he said something like, Hey, we're all, we all have gifts and talents. And some of those, and we've all also got every gift and talent. The problem is, is that sometimes on a scale of one to 10, our talent levels of one, Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm -hmm. right? Our gift and our, and on other things, we might be a seven or an eight. And we've all heard it. We've we've heard the singer with perfect pitch who who's just musically inclined, who who just can feel something, right? And and then and then we have others who are maybe even more passionate, but they don't got any of that. Yeah. And so what the study said was your ability, you can raise your your skill level and your your effectiveness level three points maybe maybe four so a seven can go to a ten right but the problem is is that if you're a four and you're competing with people who were born eights who are working at it just as hard as you are i mean i could work on my vertical jump all day long Mm -hmm. (laughs) and i could probably boy i could improve it probably who knows maybe in a year or two, 50%. But there are people walking around who could double what I could do, even with a 50% increase, just because of their athleticism, what what they've been given. So what does that tell me? I don't want to be in a jumping contest with somebody like that. Yeah. Right. That's just not, but they probably don't want to be in contest in other areas with me. 
Right. And so, so this notion that passion is the only thing that matters for something, I think that can get you in trouble. I, I even like curiosity. I've been playing with that, Tom. Are, are you curious about that? And what you're talking about, I did this probably a decade ago. That's eh, probably been longer than that, 15 years ago. And I did a list. It was kind of on that idea of, oh, go, you know, go work at, find what you're passionate about and go work at it. And I knew enough. I mean, my dad's Dan Miller. So 48 days of the work you love. I'm ingrained with this stuff. I thought, man, that doesn't always fly. And so I made a list, kind of my own exercise. And then I shared it with a, a group of people of making a list of the things that I was interested in, had a passion for, and that I, I actually, uh, I actually did. I partook in these things and had some level of expertise and I had a good long list of things that I have actually done. And, and I could theoretically come and hang a shingle out and say, Hey, I can help you with this thing. And out of that though, there were only about two things that I really cared to do day in and day out as a vocation revenue wise. And it was really freeing for me to do the exercise to realize, man, this is something I am passionate about. I enjoy it. I want it as part of my life. It helps inspire me and make me the best Kevin I can be. That's it. I mean, if you know, maybe I can inspire some people to do it and find some value in it, but I don't want to do it as a job. I don't want to be a, uh, an, like an exercise coach and, and inspire people to go do what I do and run and mountain bike out in the, out in the boonies and uh, get the value that I do. It's great if they want to, but man, it's just something I do for me. It's just a personal thing that helps me. So I like what you said. And yeah, if somebody would do that, it's a neat exercise to do to go through all your interests. And for some people, what it does is opens up ideas for things that they could do. You know, like for me to realize, gosh, I built an alternative style house. It's actually made out of, out of bales of straw. So if you go look that up, you'll see that. So I have a house. I did that. I mean, we did it hands on the straw. We built the thing and I could help somebody with that. I have absolutely zero interest in doing that. Uh, it was just to build my house. That was it. End of story. And if we ever do it again, that's all it will be for again is to do our own house. So I like that perspective. Yeah. One of the things I've been uh, focusing on because of the leadership emphasis yeah. and, you know, a couple of principles in leadership is, gosh, you got to have confidence. Yeah. Right. Right. The people around you, they need to, to, to be as a leader, they need to look to the leader and go, wow, uh, they've got confidence. Now there's a problem is the wrong kind of confidence creates arrogance and when disruption comes and you've got the wrong kind of confidence and arrogance, it's a hard fall. And, and so I've come up with kind of this concept of the difference between short-term confidence and long-term confidence. Short-term confidence is about the results I got yesterday. Yeah. Right. So if I'm pretty good at something and I'm getting great results and I'm, you know, I've got swag and, you know, swagger and, and, uh, man, I rocked it yesterday and I do that day and day and day and man, my ego can get pretty inflated and I'm probably pretty good until the market conditions change or a pandemic comes along or something happens in my life and I start not getting those wins, right? The results quit happening and I get hit, right? It's a blow. It's a blow to the ego because I'm not doing what I, I'd try to do. What's not working even more. So we don't want that. So what do we want? We want long-term confidence, which is based on how much we learn and how much we grow. 
And so if we're always learning and growing, if our emphasis, what did I learn today? How did I grow today? How did I get a little bit better at it? Um, the results are going to be there. You know, if we're, if we're gifted and skilled in it and, you know, we're really in a sweet spot in our profession and what we do, we're going to continue to get better. But the difference is, is that when disruption comes, it's n I'm not confident because of what I know. I'm confident because I know the right people and the right questions to ask. Yeah. I know the processes and the habits and the routines that will take me where I want to go. And when the situation and environment changes, that's fantastic. I just got to learn what I don't know to get where I want to go. And so people, it's the same with profession or career or what we decide. We let society tell us, hey, this has more value than that. Right. <laughs> that's not scriptural, right? If you're solving a problem, doesn't matter what you're doing. If you're solving a problem that, that, that benefits someone, you're doing good creator of the universe smiles on you and then and, and is never happier than when you do that so so now you're out and you're in you're solving problems and the creator of the universe smiles and if your focus is gosh how can i grow how can i learn and whatever this is and then you realize that i was it's funny because i had this thought i went over and picked up sushi and I was like, gosh, I could never be a sushi chef. I mean, that's detailed and they're chopping fish all the time. And, you know, but look how pretty that, I mean, look how good this tastes. You know what I mean? And so my thought was, uh, I might get bored of that repetitive thing. And then I flipped it over and I said, no, because my goal is not to, to make sushi. My goal is, is to satisfy somebody's appetite and give them delight, a, you know, a reprieve, a place to have a great conversation, you know, something that fills the soul. And, and so then my question is, well, could I be better at making sushi tomorrow than I am today? Well, that's how the top chefs become the top chefs. <laughs> yeah. They're looking for that idea, that technique, that taste, that flavor combination, that presentation style. And so this is a way that no matter what you're doing, you can take it to the next level. The greatest teachers in the world, why are they the greatest teachers in the world? It's very rarely by how good they are in the classroom. It's the little extra they gave to that student on the yeah. side. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So no matter what you do, whether you're – a teacher or a government employee, you know, uh, own your own business in sales, a technician, a data analyst, doesn't matter. If you're in there saying, Hey, how can I be a little better tomorrow than I am today? And what really matters is the people that I serve and work with and how can I help them? Just like that teacher taking that student to the side, who's having a challenge, boy, that's where the joy and the satisfaction comes. So a lot of times the people that, that we work with and that our coaches work with, it's not that they're unhappy because they're in the wrong career. It's because they have the right mindset towards the career they have. Yeah. Right. So how do we, how do we focus on that? How do we change that? How do we get that in perspective? Okay. You led right into my next, my next two. So Troy Stone King here, he says, I had an early interest so again, the you know, question, what influenced you? I had an early interest and I showed a strong aptitude. 
and I still have the letter. And I asked him, interested in what? He said, information technology. At the time, we just called it computers. So he's saying I had an early interest and then an aptitude. And if you, I like looking up words, aptitude is a natural ability to do something. So he had an interest and an ability. Today, he says, I just have the ability. Okay, that's what he wrote. Right after him, Mason Basuk, he says, uh, I had a passion for resolving technical issues for non-tech savvy folks. This results in a high level of burnout for most people in IT. Uh, he said a passion. So we got two guys here in similar fields. One saying I had an interest, showed an aptitude. Now I just had the aptitude. I know how to do it, but not much interest. And another one saying I have passion. Now, nothing against, you know, Troy here. Troy may be a, a rock star and may be dramatically better than Mason. I have no idea. But you just made me think of it in regards to your sushi. So we have a place here in town. They make good sushi. I mean, it is enjoyable to my taste buds. The other day we were there, I was there with a couple of my boys and we got it to, uh, to go. And so we sat at the bar and watched the guy do it. Never a smile, no eye contact. He was there to make sushi period. And, and again, sushi might be, I mean, it was fine. We, we ate, it was fine. Another place though, took my, took one of my other sons for his birthday to a place downtown Colorado Springs. I had been there before, but it's been a while. And they said, Hey, if you come in, it was in the middle of the day, kind of a weird time. They said, if you sit at the, at the sushi bar, you get free salad or soup. So my son says, Oh, let's go, let's go there. So we go sit up there. I mentioned it's his birthday. The, the main sushi guy led the whole, uh, the whole team in the back at blessing my son. He made him this big, huge, it was like a wagon wheel size tray of mainly fruit made in different objects. Like here's a rabbit and a sunshine and this, you know, drizzled uh, chocolate all over that didn't charge us for it or anything, brought that over, brought our meal. Uh, and he sang happy birthday. And I know it's unpolitically correct, but he said it just like you would expect an Asian guy to do it. And he laughed and had fun with it. We videotaped it. Uh, and then later on, they made some kind of a special thing and came over and just let us taste test just on the house. Just bless. Well, guess where I want to take my kids or my family or my friends to that place. I don't even know. I don't know if the, I'm not a sushi connoisseur, uh, to know if it did, did it really taste better. I don't even, I wasn't even paying attention at that point. I was just there having fun and being blessed. That speaks right to what you were talking about, Tom of, and it's interesting. Maybe the one guy's doing it because it's family run business and you know, you're, you're going to work in the business and make sushi. Maybe they said, Hey, you have a really good aptitude for doing this detailed, making it consistently. It's really good. And he would pass tests and, you know, win well on a chef show or whatnot. And the other guy, maybe not, man, he just, as you said, he loves blessing people. He is there to help fill their appetite, the appetite of their belly and of their joy. And it's interesting, again, as we look at our work, go, why are we doing this? Is this what we want to do? And to your question, then, can we look at this differently could we bring more joy into it? Or is it just a place where it's going to be hard to, and we need to look, you know, at something else. And one thing I don't want to forget too, Tom, you mentioned something to the effect of the monetary value that we are, I'm, I'm extrapolating that we associate with this. As I was writing, I, I'm, you know, of course, thinking of examples and thinking that if you grow up in a home with a, you know, high professional caliber, mom, dad, you know, whoever's, whoever's bringing you up, and you see that and you see the trappings of that wealth and you're just used to the lifestyle that's associated generally with an income of, so let's say a quarter million dollars. Okay. That's another thing that really narrows down 
our scope of what we are going to look at job wise. I've seen kids do that. They generally are going to look at professions that will help support that. And they're not really going to consider a profession beneath that. That's only going to earn $50,000, even though they may have the time of their life doing that. And, and conversely, we see the same thing too. somebody who grew up in a home of a family where, yeah, you know, 30,000, 50,000, whatever was, was it. And if you've got multiple kids, that's, that's pretty strapped in, in these times. And that's what their scope of reference is going to be as well. Chances are that's who their parents are going to hang around as people of that same economic status. And they're going to go out and they're going to look expectantly at that, even though it may be the next brain surgeon right there, the seeds of it right there, but they're not even going to consider it because of their exposure. And I say this and it can be daunting because it's really open it up. And, and like your dad says, you know, it's not like we can open it up and say, Hey, you can do anything. Probably not. Like you said, you do, you do not have the aptitude to do anything, but it's gotta be a lot more broad than what we have seen. And I'm hoping that this will help people consider why they're doing what they're doing and be honest about that and, and be confirmed or have some curiosity elsewhere. Um, and, and just free that, but then free them up also to look and go, what, what else could I do? And Tom, you probably like me, you've got examples of people in their fifties, sixties, seventies, who've done career changes and started incredibly prosperous things later in life. Yeah. You know, there's another mindset too. It's not just, um, Hey, I should do this or I shouldn't do that. Cause that's what my, my, my parents did, or that's what my major influences did, or that was the first, that was the start I had in the business world. There's also another mindset. Now, you know, I'll just use uh, a, a brick, a brick Mason. You know, if, if your family are as brick Masons, you're probably going to be a brick Mason. But if your family worked for their brick Masons and they work for a brick a company that did that, then you're probably going to be uh, a brick mason who works for somebody else. Yeah. But if your family owned the company and they're all brick masons, and then you go to work, you're probably either going to step into ownership of that company. You're going to go start your own company. And if you say, gosh, brick masonry is cool, but uh, roofing is better. You're probably not going to be a roofer for working for another roofing company. You're, you're probably going to start a roofing company Right. And you might enjoy. And so, and you hear this in Howard Partridge in our inner circle and what we do there is we have business owners and they come in and they've grown their business to a certain size and they're stuck and they need to be more profitable and they need to scale and need to hire and they don't have systems. And we ask them, well, great. If we put system in, what's going to happen? They go, well, well, you know, I'm, I'm going to get stability. I'm going to live my dream. And <clears throat> so we get into it and they don't let go. So it's the Michael Gerber thing. They, they, they're yeah. still working in their business and still, and, and they're like, well, well, why is it that you're still working in your business so much? Oh, I love it. And so we say, well, fantastic. Let's go ahead and systemize it. And then you can work in, in your business as much as you want to, but you'll never have to. <clears throat> and so people have this um, mindset 
of they have to grow into the understanding that how awesome is it to get to choose where you spend your time? Yeah. And we were, you know, dad spoke and this was years ago. He spoke in Shreveport and when we got told of a great Shreveport, Louisiana, a great, a little Italian restaurant, we go in and the chef there, the owner slash chef was just a personality extraordinaire. And we sit down at our table and the next thing we know, a complimentary hors d'oeuvres came out, you know, a little taste. And then the chef comes out and he sits at our table and says, Hey, I haven't seen y'all here before. Is this your first time? Yeah. And we tell him the story. He was there for like 90 seconds. And then the food comes out and it's great. And I'll just tell you straight up, it was above average, but it wasn't like the most extraordinary and the pricing was good, but it was a little bit more expensive than, you know, probably the competitors, but the experience was off the charts. Right. And then he comes in at the end when we're paying the bill, he's like, Hey, I got something for you. And it was like this custom little mint thing. And, and it just, it was like, it it wouldn't matter what kind of, this guy was Italian and it was Italian restaurant. If he'd said, Hey, you know what? I'm tired of this. I want to go do Mexican. I would have, I'd be like, do you need an investor? Yeah. <laughs> because, right. Because he gets it. Yeah. It's, it's about uh, exceeding expectations. And yeah. so the friendliness, the, the, the environment, the atmosphere, the, the service and the food, it all exceeded expectations. I mean, at the price point, we weren't expecting gourmet. Yeah. Right. It was, but it was, it was just what it's about. And so that's a guy who figured out to, to turn what he, he loves people and he's good at restauranting. Yeah. But the reason people go there all the time is because he loves people. You are listening to the Ziggler show and this discussion with Tom Ziggler on how we all ended up in the work we're in. We'll be right back. Doug Levy is a friend of mine. I actually lived up here in my little mountain town until just recently, and he just went to uh, the Nashville, Franklin, Brentwood area, which I think half of the American population is now moving to, either there or somewhere in Texas. But he said, uh, the love of live music and concert touring is what influenced him to do what he does and getting the opportunity to provide others the ability to enjoy it as much as me. Okay. Here's why I pulled this out. So here's somebody, he loves live music and concert touring. I adore music. According to Spotify, I'm in like the top 0.001% of people who listen to this amount of music. I pretty much have music going constantly. Love it. Food for my soul. Do not want to be involved in it vocationally. That's never been my, and I don't even like live concert, live concerts like he, like Doug does. Uh, but he loves that live music and concert touring specifically loves that. So you think about what are you going to do? If you're a kid thinking about that, you think, oh, I'm going to be a music artist, right? Doug's not done that. He actually plays guitar. I think he's played on worship teams at the church and whatever, but he runs sound at our, at the churches. I went to church with him for a long time and he runs sound. So he's involved in it that way. Then he worked for a company down in Colorado Springs that provided, um, I'm, I'm blanking on the company's name, but they provide these high end, uh, ear earphones 
So it's, if you're a top end musician, you're using their earphones. So he got to travel and provide and do custom setups for some of the same musicians he loved to go see on tour. Now he just got a job as an agent. And so he's going to be working within that industry as an agent. That's what I love. We also tend to be very narrow when we see an area of interest and we only see it in one way. I remember a guy a long time ago said, man, I really want to help people with health and fitness, but I have no idea how I'm ever going to afford a quarter million dollar gym. I think that's the only way you see the opportunity here. Let's, let's round this out uh, a little bit. And so look at that. There was a, a story recently that I wish I had the details on, but it was a guy, he was of Indian descent and a very small person, short, small stature. And his dream was to be involved in the NBA. And he ultimately was. And today he's, and I, I probably read this in a business magazine today. He is a, I think it's a chiropractor for one of the NBA teams. He goes on tour with them. He is fully enmeshed in the NBA, not as a player. And so, uh, I just recently did this with one of my kids who has found a field of interest that they want to be involved in. And it's a field I know of functional medicine. And I went through a long list of ways to be involved in that. Our supplement, our nutritional supplements rep is a guy, he's not a functional medicine doctor or provider, but he is heavily, heavily enmeshed. The guy's one of the most knowledgeable people I know on the individual supplement side. I know people on the testing side who are providing genetic tests and blood tests who are heavily involved. And then of course you've got different providers of so many ways to be involved in this thing that you love. So as people look at back to the list of passions, we were talking about Tom, these areas of, man, I'm really, I really enjoy this. What's a way you could be involved in it or maybe that's make a list of all the ways that you could be involved. If you look at that industry and look at how many supporting industries there are, just like my buddy, Doug, who's looking at all these audio aspects and now he's an agent in ways that he's involved in this thing. And he's not a professional musician, a professional uh, singer in that sense. He's not part of the band even, but he is involved in this thing that he Love. So it's just another exercise that we can all do to look at those areas of interest and say, how many get, get really big. I love brainstorming. How many things can you throw on the wall yep. and then consider what, what might stick Two two quick stories. One is the Bob Bodine story, which is very similar to what, what you're just talking about. Uh, his dad kind of invented the, the executive search industry. And so growing up, when he started working there, their job was to find for big corporations, CFOs, CEOs, presidents, vice presidents. And as he's going through this, he's like, he went to his dad and he said, you know, it's, he said, it's okay when we place a CFO and we do the onboarding with them and then we get the tour of their big office complex or their factory or their warehouse. He said, but that doesn't really light my fire. And his dad said, well, what lights your fire? He says, well, instead of, a, of walking around the factory or the office complex, you know, I want to do, I want to walk through Yankee Stadium. I want to, I want to walk through, you know, the greatest college athletic complexes in the country. And, and his dad said, well, they need this too. Why don't you figure it out? And so he started building kind of executive search for, uh, college and university and professional sports sports illustrated said he's the most influential man in college sports you've never heard of and so he took a gift and a talent he's a people person extraordinaire he knows how to connect people he knows 
uh, how to understand what it is an organization is looking for and find a candidate that fits that. But he said, you know what, I'm, I'm not passionate about the, you know, the corporate blah, blah, blah. I want to do something I'm passionate about. So he took that same and he created his, he created a niche. And so that is, that's a potential and a possibility we all have. And then I remember the second story years ago, I think it was Gallup and they, they did kind of an employee satisfaction survey and they said, okay, for people who've been in a, in a, in an employee position in a career, who are the happiest ones? Like they just love it. And so this is how it worked. They would start working in a company, in a career, and whatever the job role was, they did it. Now, when you go take a job and you're getting started, there are things about the job that you applied for. Usually you're, you're excited about, you like, you see the potential. And then there's other things about that job that just don't fit what you're made for, right? It's not your skill set, not your passion. <laughs> and no matter how hard you try to raise that skill level from a, from a three to an eight, it's just not going to happen. And so what's interesting is that those people who were happiest, they, they got lucky. They worked for a leader or a business that over time, like a year into it, they would say, wow, you've, you've done everything we asked. And they would ask, they would look at the results and they'd say, what are you really good at? And they would start to give them more responsibility in what they were really good at. And then they would take away some of the things that they were responsible for that they weren't really good at. And over time, it ended up creating a custom position for that person. And those are the happiest people because they're investing more of their time at what they're really good at and less of their time at what they're not good at. Yeah. Now, the wow factor, and that's why a lot of people end up starting their own businesses, right? It's that dream. Oh, I'm going to do everything. I'm going to spend all my time on the stuff that I love doing. <laughs> and then they figure out, wait a second, there's a lot of things in running a business that I don't like doing and I'm not good at. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, so they've got to reset that uh, aspect of it, but that's, that's awesome. But we need to, to also connect the value that we bring with the difference it makes in the lives of other people. Yeah. So, uh, I'll never forget Mr. Smith. When I was growing up, Mr. Smith did our yard and, uh, he was, uh, the most energetic, happiest human being, you've ever seen. I mean, he showed up and, and I don't know what dad did. He probably paid him to cut the bushes outside of my bedroom window at 8 a.m. on Saturday morning. And that's when dad would go have his conversation with Mr. Smith outside of my bedroom with the old fashioned hedge clippers, right? These weren't electric. These were the, the big scissors. And he would say, Mr. Smith, tell me about your family. And then I'd hear this conversation. And that night at dinner, Dad would make the point and he would say, you know, Mr. Smith didn't graduate from high school and his lawn care business put seven of his kids through college. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. So did Mr. Smith love lawn care? Maybe. Did he love what lawn care did for his family? Oh yeah. And did and did treating the people he served well? Did that have an influence and an impact in his family? Oh, yeah. Yeah. So 
Yeah. I got I got one more perspective for you, Tom, for everybody to think about. This is from, and this comes from uh, a response to my question from Vi Miller. It's my aunt. It's my aunt. She says, in fourth grade, I read a biography of Jane Addams and her creating Whole House in Chicago for homeless children. It inspired me to be a social worker focused on children and families. So Vi married my uh, uncle, Nate, my dad's brother, who was a school teacher as well. They started a camp that I was a camp counselor at that brought in a lot of inner city kids and people in that area of interest. But I bring it out because there are a lot of people on the bookshelf behind me and probably yours behind you as well, Tom, uh, who have cited how influential it was to read the biographies of really successful people. So that's what Vi just talked about and a lot of people. And the interesting thing, though, is it gives you such insight into different vocations. And we can do that outside of biographies. The opportunity that we have today to go on Amazon or Audible or whatever and listen to something. Obviously, we can go to YouTube and see documentaries on all kinds of different vocations. Very, uh, very powerful. Now, my I'm, I'm a book reading guy and I like doing that. And sometimes I'll even do fiction books. My daughter, this last summer went to France and Italy for a few months to literally harvest grapes for wine and harvest olives. And we got some books, got a hold of some uh, great fiction series on around the wine culture. And it was really neat to do. And we got really enmeshed in seeing that. I realized that I really like the wine culture. I sure would never want to work in it. It's a very detailed thing. And being as far as making wine and making that, no way. So it was a great exposure to show me something I absolutely don't want to do. Uh, I'm, I, I like wine plenty, and that's probably the extent of it. But I, and I like the culture. I like being a customer of it. As I like being a consumer of it, which is another way, another good way, folks, to look at things is this area. We'll go back to the list that we talked about, Tom, the list of your interests and passions. Are you interested in being a consumer of that or do you want to be a provider? So when it comes right now to my sporting, my athletic pursuits, my mountain bike racing and running, whatever, I am absolutely a consumer. It's all I want to be. I do not want to be a provider. So that's another great way to look at that, but reading different things. It was actually uh, some of my reading about C.S. Lewis and J.R.R. Tolkien. We had Diana Pavlat Glyer on the show not long ago. She wrote the book Bandersnatch that was about really a look at the Inklings and the, the culture there. And it influenced me, one, to want to have Inklings, but it also further enmeshed me into the vocation of authoring. Certain types of authors. Now, those guys were fiction authors. I am not. But it was still the pursuit of the research you have to do for a book and the putting the thoughts together. That is more attractive to me and is really helping me steer myself towards that. And I'm grateful to be working on a book now that will come out. And I'm eager to write the next one and the next one and really to start steering my vocation into doing what I do now, but doing it in the form of book writing. I'll keep podcasting as well. But I just wanted to put that out there the, with the opportunities we have to in within books. Today, we have documentaries and you can get an unbelievable uh, amount of exposure to what it's really like to work in these things. So if you work out your own list of interests, of passions, expertise, whatnot, and then go look at what does it look like to work in different aspects? Again, I'm going to point back to Doug though. Don't think that if you're going to be, if you really like food, you're just going to watch a chef show. That may not be what you want to do. 
you may want to be involved in one of any in an infinite amount of opportunities around that that still have you involved in that thing that you love but we can go expose ourselves. and uh, tom i don't know if yeah if you've had uh, any influence from something like that to you know a, a book i've seen movies i've had movies where I, i've seen movies and it's really uh gotten me excited about going that direction though i do have to be careful every time i watch rocky i i've now bought my third heavy bag you know the heavy bag that you sit there and punch i'm on my third it's the third one that i bought and it sat in a corner because i watch these boxing movies man i think man i want to i want to be i want to be cool tough like that and it hasn't really stuck. So you got to watch the influence. But I've had some movies really move me towards vocational and personal interests like that. Yeah, and it, I like the idea. Okay, so if our if our purpose is to learn and grow, so we can serve our fellow man better. Yeah. Right. And sometimes the learning and the growing uh, that inspires, motivates, gives us energy so that we can go serve our fellow man in a totally different way. But now we're energized. We got more energy. So I'm all about that. So when you, I like the idea of when you see something that, Hey, I want to know more about that. Uh, one of the things when I was a kid, you know, uh, I was totally wrapped up in bikes, uh, almost as much as, well, not almost as much as you were, but I rode hours every single day, you know, just, and you get into that. And then dad's like, I don't speak bike. <laughs> There's a language when you get into something, it doesn't matter what it is. When you get into it, you learn a whole new language. Yes, you do. And and so what are you doing? Do you want to do you want to learn that language so that you can speak it uh yeah. and, and yeah. know what's going on in the inside? And when you really you know, part of me, uh one of the mindset shifts of I'm, I'm, I'm working on right now is changing my approach to food from, man, that's good. I wonder how fast and how much I can eat <laughs> to, yeah. wow. I wonder how many flavors I can taste. Yeah. Cause it's two different, two different experiences and, you know, just taking joy and less and more flavor. It, it is funny, Tom. We talk about that at my dinner table, literally. I mean, imagine watching a movie going, oh my gosh, this movie is great. Or this football game, Super Bowl, this is great. Man, just speed it up so it's over in 15 minutes. You don't do that. You, <laughs> you don't want it to end, man. And it's funny with that with food. You sit down for that you know, really great meal. You take that first bite. Oh my gosh, this is good. And our propensity is to wolf it down. It's really counterintuitive. Wouldn't you think you'd want to sit there and just savor it like mad? I still have to tell myself that because it is some kind of a, we probably have some ingrained DNA part that if something's good or we got food, you know, wolf it down, but it doesn't make sense. I I'm, I'm prone to, to your direction there. <laughs> I'm learning. Yeah. I'm yeah. learning. It's almost like I have to have like the Hobbit, you know, I have to have a pre-meal. So that I can, <laughs> yeah. so that I can, so that I can enjoy that's, the meal. That's funny. Or at least that big <laughs> glass of water that can help. Hey, I, you know what? I, I do want to throw one more thing out, Tom, um, just because this is something that has gone by the wayside. Uh, it was probably a, again, quite a while ago. I had a lady contact me. She said, man, my husband's doing X, Y, Z. He really wants to pursue taxidermy. Okay. That's a little off the wall, but that's the legit story wants to do that. And we're wondering where he can go, uh, get a formal education doing that. We're looking at this community college or this, whatever. And it was like $20,000 or something like that. I said, really? 
Okay. Gosh. And, and I got to be, how do I be politically correct? Cause I, I'm not downplaying formal education, but in this specific context, the first thought that I had, and I just in broad, it, let's, let's, let's pretend that I didn't actually diss the formal education thing. I did, but I, I didn't need to do that. I'll say, let's look at some other options too, and see what fits you. Cause she was really having a hard time with the money. And I said, what if we, what if you got a job? doing taxidermy, find the biggest place around and see if you can get a job and literally get paid to see the intricacies, not just learn about it, but to learn about the business. Here's how you do a squirrel, but here's how you sell it. Here's how you deliver it. Here's what the problems are. And if you can't do that, what if you just offer to work for free? That's an apprenticeship. We used to have those. They don't exist much anymore. We do hear some about interning here and there, uh, but uh, very rare. And instead, we are more prone to go pay for it. And with her, and I was, you know, I was really beating this one up a little bit. I said, you're looking at $10,000. If somebody won't let you work for free, what if you paid them to work for them and paid them a fraction of what it's going to cost for you to go to this school? So again, let's take me uh, being negative on, on formal education, because obviously you can't go do that and just say, hey, I'm going to go apprentice with a brain surgeon and learn how to do this. Well, that's, that's not an option. And in some ways, you know, the formal education is your best opportunity, but again, to expand that out. And I've heard multiple times people wanting to get in an area, uh, get uh, involved in a certain area, vocational area, business direction. And their first thought is going and spending a lot of money to learn about that. And yet we have a lot of testimonies. Again, a lot of books on the shelf behind me, of people who learned how to do what they did by working within that arena and being paid to learn. My son right now is in the medical field. He's working in the medical field, being paid to figure out that it's giving him exposure to figure out which direction he really wants to pursue. And he may pursue one that requires him to go get a certification, paid certification or licensure or degree or whatnot. So uh, again, not, uh, not one or the other or versus the other, but just to, uh, round out the opportunities that we just don't seem to talk about that much in this culture. I love that. Um, <laughs> taxidermy. We've got friend of a friend. They got into it early with fish. And so they love to fish and Lake fork is a huge fishing. Uh, it's like the number one bass lake in Texas. And so they started mounting fish. And then it, the reality was, wait a second, you know, you don't want to take the fish and put it on a mount because you killed, you, you destroy the fish and it doesn't last forever. So they started making, I don't know what they call them, like molds or plastic molds. Yeah. And, yeah. and then they started to learn how to paint it. And then they needed big bass. And so they had to take trips to the Amazon themselves to catch big peacock bass and they figured out how to take pictures and measure them and everything so they could replicate. So now when an angler catches a once in a lifetime fish, they can measure the girth and the length and take pictures of it and get the good light and they can recreate it wow. in a way. And how did they learn how to do that? They got, they got mentored. They, they, they gave time. They worked for somebody who was already really good at it. He said, hey, this is where we were. This is where you're going. You might want to go where we're going. I want them to do that to this bobcat that I just took a video of and posted on Facebook. I don't want to kill the thing. I, it's probably illegal, but I'd love Well, you got to trap it and then uh, let it go yeah. to have the right to say you can. Probably. What if I run it down? I don't know if that's possible no. either, but. God, I saw that bobcat. Yeah. That was a. That was cool. 
that was that was a good one. Well, yeah, and then then Seth Godin uh, he asked the same question about education, and the hi- the hypothetical question was, you get a full ride scholarship to the University of Texas, or you get accepted to Harvard, but it's going to cost you fifty thousand a year. Which one do you do? Well, the the proposition isn't between the difference in value between Harvard and University of Texas. Is it worth $200,000 extra to go to Harvard? That's not the question. The question is, if you had your degree from University of Texas and you you checked all the boxes and you got awards and, and you know, really excelled, and then you had $200,000 to spend, what could you do with that? Mm-hmm. Could you buy a business? Could you pay for your first house? Could you go and intern at your own expense at the three biggest companies that you've always wanted to work for six months each hmm. and get the whole tour, get the inside? How can they say no to that? And so that was a really interesting way to the taxidermy example that you gave. It's the same thing. What if you, what if you flipped it and said, okay, so now I've got $200,000 in my pocket. Wouldn't it be great? to go to whatever company industry it is that you want to go and say, Hey, I, I, I want to come, I want to learn everything. Um, and I'll work for nothing. Yeah. I'll pay my own way and you can review me and give me responsibility and you can let me go anytime. I don't fulfill my end of the bargain. It's uh, yeah. The, again, the, the options, it's easy to say that. Now I know that we're banking it. We're hitting up against though. It's set. We're talking about self-directed things and that's where the rubber hits the road, uh, harshly for a lot of people is it's easier just to cough up the money and go and just go through a directed thing than to be self-directed. And I understand that and I have compassion. There's some areas in my life that I, I don't want to figure out as well, but Man, it, what you just talked about with, yeah, Seth Godin is a wealth of ideas for alternative education. Well, that was his, that was his, I guess, I don't know if he still does that, the alternative MBA that yeah. program he did. I know one of the guys, John Dale, who went through his, he was one of his first 12 people who went there, stayed with them for six months or something like that and did the alternative MBA. And then he turned that into a bigger opportunity. But that guy's a wizard with alternative opportunities within vocation and business. He really is. And on that, Tom, real quick, if you've got any other resources, he's a good one. Seth Godin, you will do yourself well to look at vocational opportunities and thinking outside the box. Tune in with Seth Godin. He's got some books around that. My dad, Dan Miller, 48 Days to the Work You Love, one of the most well-known resources and providers in this area. Um, I did have a guy, I won't read his thing, but as uh, a friend of mine, West Connor, who's a pharmacist, and he actually took some kind of an aptitude test and it said he would be good for pharmaceuticals or meteorology. And he took pharmaceuticals and that's where he is today, but it is a good fit for him. There are some of the personality profiles that offer some ideas like that. I've not found them to be uh, overly helpful. Um, in some ways they get to be pretty broad, but it can again still give you some perspectives of the types of jobs. So disc profiles, which again, if you go to 48 days.com, uh, my dad, they're one of the biggest sellers of the disc profile. Um, but there's what are the other, you know, Myers Briggs profiles, even the Enneagram is going to help 
give you some ideas of vocational directives. We've talked a lot. I had Jonathan Fields on the show recently, and he has his new test that's that's focused on what triggers you, sparks you regarding work and vocation. Now, it's not going to give you a specific vocation, but a style of vocation. And you can go to sparktype, S-P-A-R-K-E-T-Y-P-E.com. Take it. It's a free test. Take it 15, 20 minutes. I really like that. I've been using that one a lot with people, with clients, with members, uh, talking about it here on the show consistently. Um, So those are some resources that you can look at to, again, help you round out. You got any others off the top of your head, Tom? No, those are good. Yeah. Yeah. I just remember, gosh, early twenties taking the full on Myers Briggs, 600 questions. Yeah. And at the end it said, I should either be a fishing guide or a golf pro. (laughs) Well, and it didn't ask me one question about fishing or golf. Interesting. And what was interesting at that time in my golf bag was a collapsible fishing pole. And so I would often play golf and fish at the same time, man, you just, so I don't know how that happened. You just doubled up on uh, a lot of folks dream right there. Well, Hey, (laughs) thanks. And and, and folks, if you want to look, my Facebook account is agent K Miller. And I asked this question on what was the date here on uh, February 22nd, 2020. And there's right now, it looks like there's 63 comments already. I just asked it about 24 hours ago. Uh, So people are offering a lot of stuff and we didn't get into that. But if you want to go look at some personal testimonials, you can go look at those. Tom, brother, always a gift to have these conversations with you. Expands my mind. Good stuff, my friend. It's an interesting and either exciting or daunting exercise to think through and even write out how you ended up doing what you're doing. It seems whether it's initially good or bad, the awareness is helping people think through and having gratitude for what they're doing or making some changes. Well, coming up next in Ziegler Show, episode 973, I bring you Anthony Trucks. He's written a book called Identity Shift that has some significant messages in it. It, I just finished, as of this recording, just finished talking with him. Um, It was really, really significant to me, and I believe it will be to you. And a main premise is that we look at these things that we want to go after, we want to improve, we want to better about ourselves and our lives. And yet, until we look at ourselves and say, hey, I've got to have an identity as someone who does this, We're often uh, just (laughs) pissing in the wind as the term goes, but it's profound. And I think you're going to get a dramatic amount out of this upcoming show with Anthony trucks. If you know that name, he was an NFL player and has done some big things, but just an incredible thinker till then. Thank you as always for letting me walk with you as we inspire our true performance together.